0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. i tell you what, we are in
1: a truth emergency right now.
0: This is the end game. It's Monday, June 5th, 2023, the 866th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. And one more note along those lines before we get started, I gave everybody an update on my Telegram a couple of weeks ago when I inadvertently destroyed it. And at the time, I was hoping that someone from Telegram support would get in touch with me. Maybe we could get all that back, but that still has not happened. I forgot to mention on the podcast, although I did post about it on various social media, I have opened up another Telegram channel. It is... T.me slash very reasonable. That is the new info stream now. So if you are wondering and you know people who are wondering how to follow me now on Telegram, that is how T.me slash very reasonable. Or you can just type very reasonable in the search feature on Telegram. And I imagine you'll find me very quickly. So Saturday evening. I was invited to attend the premiere of The Great Awakening by Mickey Willis, and I went on over to that event, and I was honestly super impressed by his movie. If you're not familiar with Mickey Willis, he is the guy who came out with Plandemic back in 2020 at the beginning. You probably remember people talking about that and sharing it widely on the internet. The thing spread like wildfire, and it was one of those early clues that the public wasn't all just going to go along with the COVID thing. Well, anyway, The Great Awakening movie, this is his third documentary, if I'm not mistaken. This one, I was totally expecting it to be uh, primarily about uh, the vax and COVID and the whole bioweapon thing and where the responsibility for that would lie. I had just assumed that was what it was going to be going in because I figured it would continue along the same lines as the past stuff and that it might even be a bit political and that it might even incorporate some of those anti-Trump COVID narratives. But it was none of that. I was completely wrong in my expectations. What he actually presented was kind of a big picture view on how societies have gone down this road before and. And how communism and these collectivist ideologies have attempted to take power in nations throughout time. He talked about Mao's China. He talked about Nazi Germany. He talked about collectivist ideologies overall. And the fact that communism, Nazism, fascism, socialism, all of these are collectivist ideologies. And there are plenty more out there. Went through a discussion about Mao's China. Talked about how Klaus Schwab's father was a corporate leader in Nazi Germany. These connections are the critical connections for people to make. Understanding that what is happening now in America has happened in other countries before. And eventually people will learn that it's happened in America before. But that our history about these events has been totally reversed so that we don't see them for what they really are. One of the really impressive aspects of the movie is that it was not explicitly political. It barely mentions Trump, which, to be honest, I think is good. It's clear that Trump is the one who understands the big picture in the way this film presents and in the way that I've discussed on this podcast for years now. But for people who aren't ready to hear that and to accept that, I think the effect might even be stronger With him going unmentioned, there was actually a really interesting little segment of the film where they showed past presidents signing executive orders. They showed George H.W. Bush and then Clinton and then George W. Bush and then Obama and then Biden. And there was just no Trump in there because Trump wasn't selling the country out to the global communist regime. Now, I don't know why Mickey Willis would have left Trump out of that. I don't know what he was thinking. I can assume that my interpretation is correct, but I think it would be an interesting question to see how conscious he was of the Trump effect. But beyond any narrative results, I think it's just kind of interesting that something exists that is about our society and about politics, and it's not trying to be about Trump. So I would recommend it highly to everyone, but you're going to know a lot of what's in the film, and you're going to, of course, know a lot of the people presented in the film. Many of the appearances, the people he interviews throughout the film are names we've become familiar with over the last few years. One interesting note, Robert Malone appeared a couple of times in the film and actually got some boos from the audience whenever his face would go on screen. Everybody else was just getting applauded whenever they would appear on screen for the first time. So that was interesting. But as I said, you're going to know most of these people. You're going to know most of what's presented in the film. It's good because it's all presented... In a very straightforward fashion, it's big picture stuff. It doesn't hammer away at anything, but it gives you a good understanding of things. And it's not doomerish. It concludes by saying that there's a way through this. And so while it's true that you might understand the content, you might be familiar with the characters in the movie, it's the sort of thing that you can share with other people and they can come to it. And not be totally put off by it. And hopefully it will be able to really affect those people. Who have some understanding that something has gone seriously wrong. But they don't exactly know what it is. They don't want to admit that the other side's right. This gives them some historical context. That will hopefully let them sort through some of that. And maybe it'll open them up to future conversations and future realizations. So on Friday, I was talking about how Twitter had taken action against what NBC News called Matt Walsh's purported documentary, What is a Woman? And how Twitter had suppressed the spread of that movie on Twitter as hosted on Twitter for its year anniversary of coming out. And I talked about how I thought it was funny that NBC News called it a purported documentary since it just clearly is a documentary, but purported documentary is the way that they phrased it to call into question its legitimacy, its honesty, its truthfulness, because NBC News's child-brained audience and readers think that documentaries are just all true. Like Michael Moore documentaries are just facts, but Matt Walsh's documentary is just a purported documentary because it doesn't say the right things, so no one should believe it. And I was discussing how HBO had come out with this show, The White House Plumbers, that was doing a little bit of retroactive continuity. They were freshening up the Watergate story for everyone out there who's not that familiar with Watergate, but is very familiar with watching everything that's on HBO. They needed an update on what the Watergate story was, so HBO provided it for them. And in the meantime, they also accused Howard Hunt, being played by Woody Harrelson, of having assassinated John F. Kennedy as, I guess, part of the CIA. Not that HBO lingered too long on that count. But I forgot to mention how unusual it was that Woody was playing that part. This is something I think maybe I tweeted a few weeks ago after an earlier episode of White House Plumbers. But Woody Harrelson's dad, Charles Harrelson, was accused of being involved in the plot to kill Kennedy or potentially even being the gunman. And now you have his son, Woody Harrelson, playing Howard Hunt. Who's being accused by this HBO film of killing Kennedy? And somehow I forgot to mention this while talking about White House plumbers. So I wanted to add that on today as yet another reminder of how weird the world we are in actually is. Now, also on Friday's episode, I mentioned that HBO had just released a new made for HBO movie called Reality, and it was about Reality Winner. And here's how Wikipedia describes Reality Winner, just for some background. Reality Lee Winner, and in this spelling, it is L-E-I-G-H. It is also spelled this way at the end of HBO's film, but at the beginning of it, Lee is spelled L-E-E. Big deal? Absolutely not. Unless it is, but it's probably not still very strange. So Reality Lee Winner, born December 4th, 1991. So she is now 31 years old. She was in her mid-20s when the events took place. An American Air Force veteran and former NSA translator. In 2018, she was given the longest prison sentence ever imposed for an unauthorized release of government information to the media after she leaked an intelligence report about Russian interference in the 2016 United States elections. She was sentenced to five years and three months in federal prison. So you got that NSA translator was sentenced to the harshest prison sentence ever in American history for her unauthorized release of an intelligence report that she believes and the media believes suggested Trump-Russia collusion back in 2016. On June 3rd, 2017, while employed by the military contractor Pluribus International Corporation, Winner was arrested on suspicion of leaking an intelligence report about Russian interference in the 2016 elections from the NSA, the National Security Agency, to the website The Intercept. That is Pierre Omidyar's company. Glenn Greenwald had initially helped set that company up, that news outlet, but then left because Glenn Greenwald is far more independent, it seems, than The Intercept. But The Intercept was supposed to be this groundbreaking coverage, kind of like what Vice used to pretend it was and like the gray zone actually seems to be. But The Intercept is kind of a joke. It's owned by a massive globalist billionaire who donates to every possible regime cause you could ever imagine. The report indicated that Russian hackers accessed voter registration rolls in the United States with an email phishing operation, though it was unclear whether any changes had been made. Concerns were raised that the intercepts handling of the material exposed her as the source and contributed to her arrest. Twice denied bail. Winter was held at Lincoln County Jail in Lincolnton, Georgia on August 23rd, 2018, Winner was convicted of removing classified material from a government facility and mailing it to a news outlet and sentenced to five years and three months in prison as part of a plea deal. So, the basics. She was an NSA translator. She spoke three different languages in addition to English, if memory serves, Farsi, Dari, and Pashto. She held a top secret security clearance and she wanted to be deployed. To the Middle East so that she could use her language skills. And she wasn't being deployed. She was a Trump hating liberal. And the film starts with reality in her office at Pluribus, a TV on in the background. It's Brett Baer and I believe Fox's John Roberts talking about how Donald Trump had just made the radical move of firing James Comey. And that was supposed to be the final straw. Something has really gone wrong here. And if you remember all the drama back then, remember how the the news outlets handled it? They filmed his plane leaving from California. He had been fired while he wasn't even in Washington, D.C. Whoa, it's so dramatic. Look at his plane take off. Later, we might see his plane land. Remember, they did the same thing when Trump was indicted like two months ago by Alvin Bragg. It's all so ridiculous. But this apparently just is the last straw for reality winner. She sees these intelligence reports in the course of her job and she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Russia has been proven to have interfered in our election in 2016. She believes that's on behalf of Donald Trump and she knows that she has to take action. The Intercept had said that they are interested in hearing from whistleblowers, anyone who had direct evidence of Russia's involvement in the 2016 election. And so reality winner answered the call. We are supposed to know immediately that Donald Trump is a dire threat to American society, just as we were constantly told back in 2017. Now, the film itself is pretty strange. The entire film is reality's interactions with with the FBI agents who came to search her house and arrest her on June 3rd, 2017. And all of the dialogue in the film comes directly from the audio recording and transcripts of that interaction. So the FBI guys were recording their entire interaction from the time they got there and approached reality in her car as she got home Till her arrest at the end of the narrative portrayed in the film. Every bit of dialogue is from that recording. And the film makes that clear right from the beginning. It goes to a black screen and on the black screen, it says the FBI documented the following events with an audio recorder. The dialogue in this movie is taken entirely from the transcript of that recording. And they remind you of this throughout the film, the filmmakers do. There are times where they will show an audio wave on the screen and only that an audio wave over the black screen with the clock counting and they'll play the actual audio that was recorded and then they'll switch back to the actors reciting the lines from that audio or they'll switch to a page on the screen and the words from the transcript, are typed out. So you remember, these were really the things these people said the entire time. So reality gets home from buying groceries and the FBI agents immediately come and approach her car, they start talking to her. Eventually they identify themselves as FBI agents. They talk about how they have warrants for this or that. They have some initial conversation with her. And then they begin dealing with all the practical minutia of searching her house. She needs to get her pets out. They're constantly worried about where the cat is, whether it's under the bed or on the bed. The entire interaction is very, very strange. The way the FBI guys were handling Reality Winner and handling the entire situation seemed a little insecure, a little unprofessional. Didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. It seemed like maybe the entire thing was some sort of setup. And then about a third of the way into the film, they go into Reality's house into this kind of bonus room that she doesn't use at all. She describes the room as creepy. There's no furniture in there. She just never wants to go in there. All that's in there is a caged dog kennel for her dog that is now, of course, chained up outside. And in that room, she has the conversation with the two FBI guys about the substance of these charges and what she knew and when she knew it. And at some point, not too deep into their conversation, the style of the film changes slightly to account for redactions in the transcript and the audio so that official recording of the fbi's interactions with reality winner as they went to question and arrest her there are still redactions in the audio and on the transcript and so as they're presenting the film they have to figure out how to handle this because these are parts of the actual dialogue that we're told occurred between these parties between the fbi agents and reality winner, were not allowed to know about those parts. So how does the film present them? Well, at times, the characters just blip off the screen. They're no longer there, and they would be speaking, but now they're not here, so we can't hear them. And then the conversation just picks up after the redaction ends, and they blip back onto the screen. It becomes immediately noticeable that nothing before had been redacted, And all of a sudden, we're in this period of redactions now. And it's during this period of redacted conversation as the film progresses that the entire tenor switches immediately. The FBI guys sound like the most professional people ever. And reality winner is now indicting herself in every other phrase, talking about how she really did access this information. She printed it out. She knew it was wrong. She folded it up. She put it in her pantyhose. She took it out of the office and then she mailed it to the reporters at The Intercept. She did the whole thing exactly as it's described in the Wikipedia entry and exactly as it's been described in the news. She was totally anti-Trump. She believed that Donald Trump had been installed by a foreign government. She couldn't allow this to stand. She felt it was her patriotic duty to speak up and do something because she was the person with the evidence that Russia had indeed colluded. And because The Intercept was looking for whistleblowers willing to share that story, she knew that it was her moment to go ahead and do that. The Intercept wanted something. Reality Winner found something. And so Reality Winner supplied it to the Intercept. And then it made it sound like Donald Trump really was colluding with Russia. And of course, the filmmakers give us all the little hints about who Reality Winner is and what kind of society she lives in. She has a bunch of bumper stickers on the back of her car. She does CrossFit. She likes to travel. She likes to take Instagram pictures. But she's also in Augusta, Georgia, and there is a child's toy truck in another yard that has Confederate flag stickers on it. You can't be subtle when you're trying to convince the child brains that the story you're making up is not only true, but that anyone who thinks it's not true is a bad person. You don't want to be on that other side with the Confederate flag, people. So you better believe exactly what we're showing you about Reality Winner, this person who tried to save the country from Donald Trump. So the FBI eventually arrests Reality Winner. She has admitted that she did all of this. She gets sentenced to the longest sentence ever. And now she has plays and movies written and produced about her. I'm sure she probably has a wonderful career doing something ahead of her. Someone will want to reward her for this, and who knows, maybe it will even be Pierre Omidyar. So what did they make this story for? And it seems like there's a couple things at play here. Well, first, they want you to know that everything in this story is absolutely real. It's so real that we are showing you The transcript, minus the redactions, of course, and playing for you the audio, minus the redactions, of course. That's how you know that all of it is true and that there were no other manipulations. This is the situation as it existed. We can't show you a more real version of this. In fact, this is as close as we can get to a documentary without actually being a documentary. You see, because this fits. None of the qualifications of being a documentary, but it's a hundred percent, a thousand percent, a million percent true. Therefore, it's basically a documentary, not like Matt Walsh's purported documentary. So everything that you're seeing is true. This thing really happened. Here's the audio. That's proof. Here's the transcript. That's proof. And she says that she did all those things. That is also proof that she definitely did do all those things and that all those things happened the way she presents them as having happened, except absolutely none of that is actually proof. And what did those redactions say? And is there anything else going on in this story? Because it sounds like the perfect way to introduce to the public the idea that the intelligence agencies know Russia coordinated with Donald Trump in order to interfere with the election in the United States in 2016 and elect Donald Trump. That is the underlying fact of this story. Reality winner would have never had any incentive to go to the intercept if she didn't believe that she was legitimately trying to save her country from this Manchurian candidate, Donald Trump, who's only in office due to Russian interference in the election. If that intelligence report isn't real and it doesn't say what the news is saying, then this whole reality situation doesn't make any sense. That underlying fact has to be true. Except the underlying fact doesn't actually have to be true either. It's just an intelligence report. It could be a correct intelligence report. It could be an incorrect intelligence report, but it's just an intelligence report about Russian actors hacking into electronic databases of email voter registration information because they were going to send them bad emails that were going to affect how they voted. Here is how the original report from The Intercept describes the documents. The report indicates that Russian hacking may have penetrated further into U.S. voting systems than was previously understood. It states unequivocally in its summary statement that it was Russian military intelligence, specifically the Russian general staff main intelligence directorate or GRU that conducted the cyber attacks described in the document. This is quoting from the document. Russian general staff main intelligence directorate actors executed cyber espionage operations against a named U.S. company in August 2016, evidently to obtain information on elections related software and hardware solutions. The actors likely used data obtained from that operation to launch a voter registration themed spear phishing campaign targeting U.S. local government organizations. This NSA summary judgment is sharply at odds with Russian President Vladimir Putin's denial last week that Russia had interfered in foreign elections. We never engaged in that on a state level and have no intention of doing so. Putin, who had previously issued blanket denials that any Russian meddling occurred, for the first time floated the possibility that freelance Russian hackers with, quote, patriotic leanings, end quote, may have been responsible. The NSA report, on the contrary, displays no doubt that the cyber assault was carried out by the GRU. The NSA analysis does not draw conclusions about whether the interference had any effect on the election's outcome and concedes that much remains unknown about the extent of the hacker's accomplishments. However, the report raises the possibility that Russian hacking may have breached at least some elements of the voting system with disconcertingly uncertain results. Now, it's worth mentioning that after the 2020 election, we were told that no one can interfere in our election systems and that no one has. In fact, the 2020 election was the safest and most secure election of all time, and there can't be any problems in the systems. There can't be any problems in the voter registries, even though we have public-private partnerships with all elements of the voting system, the voting machines, the email registrations, every bit of it there are public private partnerships and all sorts of outside access to our state and federal systems now also the proof that reality winner believed that she found and we are told that she transmitted to the intercept who then published this as proof that russia had interfered so that people wouldn't have to admit that russia hadn't interfered kind of sounds a whole lot like what john ratcliffe said Right before the 2020 election, he did a press conference with Chris Ray from the FBI and Chris Krebs from CISA. And this was how Politico covered it on October 28th, 2020. This is intelligence asset Natasha Bertrand writing. The headline is Ratcliffe went off script with Iran remarks, officials say. So John Ratcliffe was not supposed to say this stuff to the public. He was not supposed to relay to the public. And he did this another time a couple of days later. He was not supposed to tell anybody that there had been foreign interference in an American federal election because that could do things like trigger executive order one, three, eight, four, eight. But Ratcliffe said all this and the media went immediately into damage control Here's some of this article. Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe went off script when he alleged during a press conference last week that Iran was sending intimidating emails to Americans in order to damage President Trump, according to two senior administration officials with knowledge of the episode. The reference to Trump was not in Ratcliffe's prepared remarks about the foreign election interference as shown to and signed off by FBI Director Chris Ray and senior DHS official Chris Krebs, the director of the department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Ray and Krebs stood behind Ratcliffe as he addressed the public, supportive of the general intention to alert voters to a malicious influence operation. But they were surprised by Ratcliffe's political aside, which had not appeared in the prepared text, the officials said the press conference centered around menacing emails that had been sent to Democratic voters, warning them to vote for Trump, quote, or we will come after you. Ratcliffe attributed the emails to Iran, but said they were designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest and damage President Trump, raising immediate questions about how threatening Democrats to vote for Trump could be aimed at damaging the president's reelection bid and how the intelligence community had made that determination within 24 hours of the message. So do you pick up the damage control there? The question is how these emails could have possibly gone out to hurt Trump when from Natasha Bertrand's perspective, these emails were definitely to help Trump. That's why foreign nations interfere in our elections. It's to help Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the weak one that they can take advantage of. So foreign countries want Trump to be the president. Don't you see? That's what we've been told for like eight years now, ever since he came down the escalator. And again, we're about a week or so away from that happy anniversary. But we were told for years and years that Donald Trump was just going to roll over and do whatever he was told by these powerful foreign leaders who all have the dirt on him. It's not Joe Biden whose son's laptop they all have. It's not Joe Biden who all these countries have compromised. Donald Trump is the one they really want to be president so they can take advantage of him. That's what it is. Ratcliffe also contrasted Iran's actions with those of Russia, adding, Although we have not seen the same actions from Russia, we are aware that they have obtained some voter information just as they did in 2016. Kind of sounds like he's talking about the whole reality winner incident, doesn't it? Ratcliffe, who has come under fire from Democrats since his confirmation in May, had decided on his own earlier on in the day to hold the press conference about the spoofed emails the officials said. The FBI and CISA joined in on the briefing so that the warning about Iranian and Russian interference in the presidential election would be seen as independent and apolitical. And that also sounds absurd. So in thinking about what this movie is intended to do, well, it's intended to hammer home the point that Russia definitely did interfere in the 2016 election. That is just proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're supposed to believe that they did it to help Donald Trump, even though that's not proven in any way. And we're supposed to believe that all of the reality winner story is real. That's what the transcript and the audio show. And they're portraying it on the screen. Therefore, the underlying facts are real, too, that Russia actually did collude. Now, the timing of the whole thing is amazing because it just released right after the Durham report released. And the Durham report shows that the entire basis for the Trump-Russia collusion story, that whole hoax, was the Clintons, with knowledge of Obama and Biden and Comey and John Brennan and Loretta Lynch and countless others. All of that was ginned up by the Clintons and the DNC on behalf of the global regime to make sure that Donald Trump couldn't win and then to continue spying on him while he was president launch the Mueller investigation, undermine his presidency. And this story only came out because a brave whistleblower who had been an NSA translator took this document out and gave it to The Intercept so that they could prove how bad Trump was on behalf of Pierre Omidyar and all his global regime friends. We're supposed to take all of that as true. Now, if Ratcliffe hadn't gone out and announced that This foreign interference was trying to damage Donald Trump. How would the media have spun that in the lead up to the 2020 election? This is days before if he came out and admitted that there was foreign interference in the election and didn't say who that foreign interference was intended to help, they would have just played Trump Russia again or Trump Iran again. And if Donald Trump happened to win, well, then they could have just undermined his presidency again. But Ratcliffe ruined that story, and he may well have ruined this reality winner story too. So they have to bring it back and spruce it up so that everybody knows this is what really happened. This is extremely real. And the funniest thing about this entire project is that it gets its sense of realness, its sense of reality from reality. You get it, ha <laughs> ha. From the use of these audio recordings and the transcript. But a lot of it, the really important stuff, is redacted. It's not important to the drama of the film, to the narrative of the film. It's only important if you care about what the facts are. It's redacted. And the transcript and the audio recording are acted out in this film. And so the actors and the directors are bringing what they see as the substance of these interactions to life in a way that people at home will see as actually being real because of the transcripts, because of the audio recording. It is hard to conceive of a better piece of propaganda than this one. It is so intricate. It is so well thought out. And it basically exists to tell its viewers, turn your mind off. This is all true. Hilariously, it even features a little clip of David Korn Near the end of the film, David Korn is a journalist who writes for Mother Jones and appears on MSNBC all the time and writes for some other outlets as well. But he is the guy who was literally responsible for bringing former FBI general counsel James Baker the Steele dossier. This is from The Daily Caller in April of 2019. I don't remember specifically the date of these conversations, but I know that David was anxious to get the dossier into the hands of the FBI. And being the person at the FBI that he knew best, he wanted to give it to me. Baker told lawmakers October 3rd, 2018, according to a testimony transcript released Tuesday. Baker was speaking of David Korn, a reporter with Mother Jones, who was one of the small handful of journalists to interview dossier author Christopher Steele, Prior to the 2016 election, Baker, a longtime friend of Korn's, said the reporter provided him with memos from the Steele dossier that the FBI did not previously have in its possession. My recollection is that he had part of the dossier, that we had other parts already and that we got still other parts from other people and that. And nevertheless, some of the parts that David Korn gave us were parts that we did not have from another source, said Baker. So how clever is that? Someone who was literally involved at the ground level on the selling to this nation of the Russia hoax gets a little cameo in a video clip at the end of a movie specifically designed to tell everybody that the Russia hoax really was based on something real and important right after the Durham report comes out. It's incredible, honestly. So if you want to watch a fake documentary that does not claim to be a real documentary, watch Reality on HBO. And if you want to watch a real documentary that does claim to be a real documentary, watch The Great Awakening by Mickey Willis. It is available for free all over the internet. Links are up in the info stream, t.me slash very reasonable. And have yourself a good time. So last week, we talked a lot about how people have a hard time understanding what Trump is saying. They don't like listening to Donald Trump. They don't like his voice. They can't hear Trump. They don't give him the benefit of the doubt. They don't try to understand what he's saying. His voice sounds uneducated to them as elitists and wannabe elitists. They believe that they've heard everything he has to say because they see little clips of him on social media or on cable news. They don't ever actually take the time to listen to what he's saying on his own in a rally speech. They ignore the video statements that he routinely puts out on Truth Social, etc. They just don't know how to understand Donald Trump. They don't like to listen to him. They can't hear him. I brought this up to talk about a couple examples from the last couple of weeks, one where people went crazy because Donald Trump, they thought, Insulted Kaylee McEnany, and Kaylee McEnany is just a perfect angel who should never be insulted ever, 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 no matter what she might have done that we know nothing about. And Donald Trump may know something about because he's in an entirely different position than we are. He said something about having a big red button to Ron DeSantis, just like he said with Kim Jong un years ago. He has the goods, he has the leverage. Whatever you think you're going to try to do to me, if you go ahead and do that, I'm going to hit you back 10 times harder. That was his approach to Kim Jong-un. That was his approach last week to Ron DeSantis. Well, there is more controversy about something that Donald Trump said on Truth Social on Friday. Donald Trump linked to an article from American Greatness and posted that link on Truth Social writing, congratulations to Kim Jong-un. And he wrote Jong-J-U-N-G J-U-N-G, rather than Jong-J-O-N-G. J-O-N-G. Maybe he's embracing his shadow self. Maybe he's getting into a little Carl Jung and combining Carl with Kim Jong-un. Now, the link he provided to American greatness is an article with the headline, North Korea Granted Position on World Health Organization's executive board, Donald Trump is telling the public, hey, this is a good thing. And for anyone with perspective that goes beyond the mainstream media's telling of the Trump-Kim relationship or the WHO's standing in the world, you would realize that the WHO is a terrible organization that Trump tried to pull us out of. There's all sorts of Chinese influence, Bill Gates influence, et cetera. It is not a body of world experts who are trying to figure out how to save the most human lives. They are just another branch of the global regime using, quote unquote, public health to continue implementing the agenda of that regime. And you will know that Donald Trump's relationship with Kim Jong-un started a little rocky. They used to exchange some barbs on the Internet, and then Trump ended up walking Kim into the demilitarized zone to meet with South Korea's president. We were told Kim Jong-un would be nuking California, but instead he was making peace with South Korea along with Donald J. Trump. And of course, now he still tests weapons and people freak out and get very, very upset. He's going to nuke California anyway, even though it's pretty clear that he really never intended to nuke California. This is a short article. So here it is. On Tuesday, the communist dictatorship of North Korea was elected to a position on the executive board of the World Health Organization. As Breitbart reports, North Korea is now one of only 10 members Of the elite board, despite its long history of frequent nuclear threats against its neighbors, suppression of its own people, and occasionally taking foreign hostages, among other crimes against humanity. North Korea is currently run by dictator Kim Jong un. So, that is all of the central narrative. That is the official story about North Korea. They are very evil, very bad. He is a ruthless dictator. And he is actually gleeful about the oppression of his own people. Now, they would, of course, not tell you that North Korea is a global regime proxy state. What this means is that one of the world's most horrific regimes is now part of a group that sets and enforces the standards and norms for the global governance of healthcare," said Hillel Neuer, the executive director of the watchdog group UN Watch. It's an absurd episode for a key U.N. agency that is in much need of self-reflection and reform. A seat on the executive board provides North Korea with a vote on the appointment of the WHO's six regional directors and potentially on an eventual replacement for Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the director general now serving his second and final term. Neuer continued in the same WHO session that elected North Korea. The nation of Taiwan was forbidden from attending out of fear of angering China, which does not recognize Taiwan as its own country. The WHO's efforts to placate China are especially ironic, considering that China is the nation of origin for the Chinese coronavirus pandemic, which plagued the world for two years. Also, at the same session, the WHO voted to censure the state of Israel after the measure was loudly supported by representatives of Syria and Palestine the terrorist regime, which claims to occupy territory within Israel's borders. Today's assault on Israel at the WHO by some of the world's most oppressive regimes promoted the lie that Israel is harming Palestinian health rights. The opposite is true, said Neuer. The regimes who attacked the Jewish state were projecting the more oppressive they are to their own people and to their minorities— The more they resort to trying to demonize the only democracy in the Middle East, the WHO and the United Nations as a whole has been frequently criticized for its soft approach to China, as well as its harsh actions against Israel, leading to numerous calls for the United States to either leave or defund these organizations. So there's a lot in that very short article. And a lot of this is being told from the perspective of the global regime, from the perspective Of neocons. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Well, okay. I guess that's true if democracy means the form of governance preferred by the global regime, the one where they steal elections and then put their people in there, push everything toward communism, and then steal other elections. And once they've stolen the elections, they tell everybody, hey, you know, the majority of people actually like everything we're doing and voted for more of it. So we're going to do more of it. You just do that over and over and over again. And as long as nobody knows that the votes are being stolen, the fact that they are going out and voting in a democratic system and that democratic system is giving them regime communism. Well, that's democracy. So if that's what we're talking about over there, sure, fine. Okay. That's democracy. But if we are talking about sovereign nations who care about sovereign individuals and want to do the best for their own countries versus the collectivist global regime advancing this neo-feudalist global communism, then the view on Israel would look a little different. The push for the multipolar world is not going to slow down. The unipolar world is gone. The liberal world order is gone. The new world order is gone. That stuff's not working. And it's already been rejected by more than half of the world. They talk about the nation of Taiwan attending the meeting, except Taiwan isn't really a nation. It's just part of China. The one China policy says Taiwan is part of China. That is our official policy. That's official policy for most of the world. And Taiwan will be part of China no matter what. We don't need to go to war with China to protect Taiwan's sovereign borders because Taiwan is part of China already. It would be like if the global communists were able to peel off California for a while. California is basically a communist state right now. If the United States went a certain direction and then the global regime communist countries all put their backing behind California and California declared itself independent as a separate nation. We're not just going to sit back and think, oh, yeah, California is a different country right now. We would think California is part of the United States and we're going to kick those communists out and get California back. That calculation doesn't change just because new borders are drawn and the U.N. agrees with the new borders that are drawn by the global regime we would think, hey, California is part of the U.S. You commies need to get the hell out of here. We're taking California back. It's not different when it's Taiwan. And it's not different, for that matter, when it's Ukraine. There's a lot going on in this article. And it's about more than just congratulating Kim Jong-un. Donald Trump made thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably not millions, but hey, maybe, of new people who would not have read this article He made them read this article because he said something provocative. His provocative statement went viral, and that likely convinced thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new people to read this article and think about what it says, or at least have this information in their brains as something that is going on. And of course, just like last week, people got mad at Donald Trump. Turns out that all of the Ron supporters had the exact same reaction as the Huffington Post. Again, isn't it amazing? The conservative establishment, now fully behind Ron, just repeatedly has the exact same reactions as the Huffington Post. We're probably going to spend more time on the Huffington Post than we ever have. This is from the Huffington Post today. The headline is, GOP candidates pile on Trump After he congratulates Kim Jong-un and skipping down, former Vice President Mike Pence, who reportedly plans to announce his own bid for the White House any day, didn't speak of Trump by name, but told Fox News this weekend, no one should be praising the dictator in North Korea or praising the leader of Russia, who has launched an unprovoked war of aggression in Ukraine. Oh, for sure. Trump is so bad. This is a time when we ought to make it clear to the world that we stand for freedom and we stand with those who stand for freedom, Pence said on Saturday in Iowa. Governor Nikki Haley went a step further, calling Kim a thug and saying there was no reason we should ever congratulate the country's inclusion in the UN body. I mean, Kim Jong-un is a thug, and if you see what he has done to his own people in North Korea, When money went to North Korea, it didn't go to feed their people. It went to feed their nuclear program. She said during a CNN town hall style event on Sunday that Jake Tapper hosted and absolutely no one watched. No one even knew it was going on. Congratulate our friends, she added. Don't congratulate our enemies. It emboldens them when we do that. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also fired off a jab at Trump, saying he was, quote, surprised to see the former president's missive. Kim Jong-un is a murderous dictator, DeSantis told reporters. So all of the also-rans and the irrelevants went to Iowa to pretend that they are actually running for president. All of them are very mad about Donald Trump saying the no-no words. And they all sound like they could write for the Huffington Post. Now, on Friday, we talked about how YouTube was changing their policies. According to a report in Axios, YouTube is no longer going to ban content that talks about election fraud in the 2020 election, talks about how our elections are stolen and manipulated and how the fraud is introduced to the process. We're basically allowed to talk about election fraud on YouTube now. Now, I can't imagine that they're doing that for us. I can't imagine that they're doing it for the benefit of the nation. They're certainly not doing it because they're in favor of vigorous open debate. So why are they doing? It? And I suggested a possible reason why they could be doing it was because election fraud is undeniable. It is coming out more and more and at a faster pace. And at some point, they're going to be held liable for how they have distorted the conversation and how they have involved themselves directly in election interference. Now, I obviously don't know if legal issues or future legal issues are what made them make this decision or whether there is some measure of control being exerted upon them from some outside force. And if that's the case, we can't know what side it's coming from. But I am inclined to stick with my first impression That election fraud is just bubbling up to the surface. Finally, it always had to come out. There was no way we were ever going to just allow this thing to die. There were too many people who have watched our election stolen in broad daylight and have absolutely no incentive to let go of that. People whose lives were destroyed by this regime through the whole pandemic period are not going to just sit back while that regime steals our elections and makes our lives a never-ending pandemic period. The evidence is everywhere. It's obvious. It's overwhelming. And not only is the evidence everywhere obvious and overwhelming, you can just use logic and intuition to get your way through the problem. The elections are obviously stolen because there's absolutely no way in hell that Joe Biden could have ever received 81 million real lawful American votes. It's just not possible. Therefore, something went wrong. Well, on what scale did something go wrong? How much fraud is acceptable? And when you realize that election fraud is not acceptable under any circumstances, and when you start to examine the system, you realize that the system was built to enable fraud. And so it should be assumed automatically in a system built to steal something that that thing is being stolen. It's not a leap. It's not radical. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is the most obvious conclusion based on the set of facts in front of us. And beyond that, the results produced in the real world suggest the illegitimacy of our elections. The fact that our elections are illegitimate explains nearly all of the problems in our society, right down to the very roots. And we do not need the New York Times to agree with us. If the media had reported any of this accurately over the last three years, but truthfully over the last however many years, all of the years since the country began, certainly decades and decades, there would be zero doubt about whether or not our elections are stolen. The mainstream media could have simply covered the news and gotten the entire country there. But that is the purpose of propaganda and censorship. They want to hide the truth. They want people to believe the lie. Again, another logical and intuitive way to know that they steal the elections. So as I said, I think that we are getting to the point where this stuff becomes undeniable. And yesterday... Maria Bartiromo had a very interesting interview on Fox News with Newt Gingrich, the former Republican Speaker of the House, who constantly weighs in on politics. He's like the old wise man who is often very wrong because he still may well be a tool of the regime. And she also had Robert Cahaley, who is the guy at Trafalgar polling. Here's a bit of their conversation. I want to ask you about election integrity. How much do you factor in potential voter fraud when you come up with your polling?
1: Well, what we're having to do is look back at the last few years and come up with the, the number of votes that seem to come in that are, you know, kind of untraceable. You know, people that tend to vote that you don't seem to be able to contact. And so we, you build a model based on how many of these are going to happen. And unfortunately, in this day and age, when you have to build that model, what you have to do is uh, they're all going to vote one way. Uh, but you have to figure out how many people are going to participate who you know, are just not going to be available for you to call. The you know, 95-year-old guy on the news uh, who, who you know, doesn't watch the news or anything who has a ballot, requested his name, and doesn't know there's an election. He's going to vote. We know how he's going to vote now. Okay. Uh, Newt, are the Republicans doing enough to ensure a free and fair election in 2024? Well, I, I think it's probably almost impossible under current law to ensure an accurate election. And I think the only Republican strategy in the long run is to pick issues and win by margins so big that they can't steal it. Uh, if you have a very close election, Democrats have a have passion for stealing them. Uh, and you look at the way they've used bundling. Uh, as, as Robert just pointed out, when you have the local union, which takes care of people in a nursing home, going in to vote the people who literally don't cognitively know what they're doing, you know that that union is going to vote every single one of them for a Democrat, no matter what their personal beliefs were. Uh, and so I think these are things you've got to be honest about. And we have we're gradually in the Republican states, beginning to tighten up the election law. But in states dominated by Democrats like New York, Illinois, um, uh, California, you just have to assume that the machine will steal as much as it can.
0: Wow. Wow, indeed. That is pretty bold. Now, I'm not concerned with whether or not that was all some grand revelation, like new information. That's not the point. The point is that Fox News' standard normie viewer, the average Republican villager is hearing that not only are our elections stolen, but that these people in the know assume that our elections are stolen. It's already incorporated into the things that they're saying. They're not revealing something new here. They're talking about something that everybody knows or that everybody should know. Just common information. Yes, of course, they steal elections. This is what they do. The machine will steal as much as it can. That's what Newt said. Cahaley, in his polling, tries to factor in and account for the votes that are untraceable, the people they can't reach, the masses of voters that must exist because the results say they exist. But the polling companies are just somehow never able to contact those very real voters. Now, Newt also inserts some of the official story in there by pretending that Republican states are really tightening their voter laws and fixing elections in their states. That's not true. And that is a very dangerous narrative to be pushing out there when you're someone like Newt Gingrich. That is essentially saying that the regime has it under control. We're fixing things in Republican states. What we need to do is find our issues that we can win big on, get enough Republicans in there, and then we can fix our elections. We just have to win rigged elections first. So none of that stuff is helpful. But the narrative impact is still a good one. We're seeing the election fraud on videotape throughout the Kerry Lake trial. We're hearing about how bad the signatures are. There are stories coming out about election fraud all across the country. We are seeing the election interference that is not necessarily part of the voting process with the FBI and our intel agencies and regime politicians and our judiciary all abusing their roles in office to influence the outcome of elections. We're hearing these stories about foreign electronic interference. All of this stuff is good. The more we hear about all of this, the better off we are. The further we push toward the full realization of election fraud, the closer we get to the end of this period. And naturally, a new period begins. It's not like we get to just lay back and go back to normal and stop working forever. We just shift to the next stage. But once the country understands that our elections are stolen and that the 2020 election was stolen, The country can no longer view itself in the same way. They can't think that MAGA is this tiny little fringe. It's clear that it's not, by the way. Donald Trump is dominating in the Republican Party. There's this big chunk of Ron voters who will vote for Biden if they don't get Ron. So we are seeing more and more that that is the fringe in the Republican Party. The Ron thing is the fringe. We are the vast majority on the America First side. The regime side, the GOP elite establishment side, is actually very small. And those are the self imagined and self identified centrists. They want to be elitists. They are college educated. They think they know everything, even though they are the actual definition of low information voters. We have this phenomenon now where we have the most quote unquote highly educated who happen to be the least informed. And it's not just about our elections and our politics. They're the least informed about everything. They're the people with multiple vaccinations. They're the people still wearing masks in their cars. They're the people who think Bitcoin is a joke and the debt ceiling is the most important issue ever. Those people, the members of that group who are voting for Ron, if and when they don't get Ron, they're going to go back and vote for Biden. And that's funny because the anti-Trump movement that just so happens to attack Donald Trump in all the same ways the left does, and just so happens to agree that they should attack Donald Trump at all the same moments that the left does, are actually all just Trump haters. They're just Trump-hating elitists who see DeSantis as the way to get rid of Trump. And if DeSantis doesn't work, then they'll just revert to Biden to get rid of Trump. It's just anti-Trump. What do all of them do when they understand that everybody knows our elections are stolen? The anti-Trump argument in big part depends on our elections being free and fair and Donald Trump being so unpopular that 81 million real lawful American voters came out and cast their votes against him, even though his total rose by 12 million. The Democrat total from 2016 rose by 15 million. That's how unpopular Donald Trump was, even while increasing his total by 20%. What happens when they all realize it was a lie the whole time? Now, I've been optimistic about this moment for many years, and it's led to a lot of disappointment and frustration about the timelines. But you can still see it coming. And that narrative has not backtracked at all. There has been no point at which fewer people believe in election fraud than they used to. The polling reflects this and you can see it in the real world as people have softened their views. They no longer call it the big lie. The idea that Joe Biden was a return to decency, the adults are back in the room. All of that has gone by the wayside. No one believes that anymore. They can't hang that over Trump's head as if it was Obvious to everyone that a change must be made. None of that works anymore. And there is continuously more proof, more evidence, more stories of election fraud coming out. You might remember at the end of 2020, in the aftermath of the election, we heard about a man named Jesse Morgan, who was a truck driver, a contractor working for the U.S. Postal Service who was tasked with driving a truck from Bethpage, New York, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that the truck was filled with ballots. The story has been updated. There has been an investigation, and this is the American thinker from Friday. Jesse Morgan drove a tractor trailer for a contractor working for the U.S. Postal Service. Shortly after the 2020 election, Morgan made these claims at a press conference held by the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society. And that was with attorney Philip Klein. Phil Klein also did a two hour long presentation and press conference about Mark Zuckerberg's interference in the 2020 election. And it is a masterful display. It was available for anyone to see prior to the illegitimate president assuming office, but most people ignored it on October 21st, 2020. Jesse drove his truck and trailer from Bethpage, New York to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, loaded with as many as 288,000 completed ballots, completed ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. In addition, there were two large trays of mixed mail bound for Lancaster. Those were in the front of the trailer. Jesse drove the trailer to Harrisburg, but was not allowed to unload. After a six hour wait, he was told to drive to Lancaster without unloading at Harrisburg. In addition, the supervisor in Harrisburg refused to give him any paperwork to document his arrival in Harrisburg or his six hour wait, which normally would justify extra compensation. Jesse Morgan was perplexed by these instructions because 95 percent of the load was for Harrisburg and that mail would have to be unloaded before anyone could get access to the Lancaster mail bins. After that, the Harrisburg Mail would have to be returned to the trailer and driven back to Harrisburg. Even for the government, that is slightly inefficient. As instructed, Morgan drove the tractor trailer to Lancaster and parked it in his usual spot. The next morning, the trailer had disappeared without explanation. The trailer and the ballots were gone and no one would explain to Morgan or anyone else in the world what had happened. Now, you might think this is a yarn that Morgan made up, but you'd be wrong. In its highly redacted closing memorandum, the post office inspector general does not deny that Morgan was a subcontractor truck driver who took mail from Bethpage to Harrisburg and then to Lancaster. The OIG claims that Morgan identified the wrong trailer number and that his estimate of ballots could be much lower. The OIG also asserts Postal Service employees working on October 21st could not recall directing Morgan to proceed to Lancaster. Wow. Does the post office keep a written record when it sends a big tractor trailer from one city to another? Or does it simply let the truck drivers decide when and where to take their trucks? There are other suspicious tidbits in the closing memorandum. In the document, the OIG acknowledges that a contractor in Rochester, New York, printed 650,000 general election ballots that went to Pennsylvania. Of the total, 450,000 went to Philadelphia County and 200,000 went to Chester County. In explaining how the printing company delivered the ballots to Pennsylvania, the OIG states, the printing company, name redacted, explained but could not confirm the ballots for both PABOEs, that's Pennsylvania Board of Elections, were most likely delivered to those respective locations by their delivery trucks, or entered in the mail stream locally in Rochester, New York. So after more than a year of investigation, the post office IG was still not sure if the two batches of printed ballots were shipped into Pennsylvania in trucks owned by the printing company or were taken to Rochester area post offices to be delivered in government trucks. Wouldn't the post office know whether or not it delivered the 650,000 ballots? And what about the printing company? It printed 650,000 general election ballots, which may have cost close to $200,000 with a per unit cost for printed ballots of 29 cents in New York state. Yet the company didn't know a year and a half later how it managed to get the ballots into another state. But don't worry, according to the memorandum, more information is coming. The lawyer for the printing company, whose name is redacted, indicated that he would contact his client and confirm the transportation of ballots at a later time. Now, the guy writing this article, his name is Joe Freed, and he's an Ohio-based certified public accountant who wrote a book on some of the election audits post-2020 election. He has some interesting observations in this article. He says, I wonder when the later time will take place. After all, that statement was made in a final closing memorandum for which I could find no updates. I'm not sure when the closing memorandum, which was dated April 11th, 2022, was finally posted to the OIG's website. I've tried multiple times to get the information using the right to know laws. Last year, I was told that the information was being withheld to protect, quote, witnesses, victims, subjects, and law enforcement personnel from harassment and intimidation as a result of their association with a criminal matter. Then the story changed. A month or two ago, I was told that the information was being withheld to protect, quote, trade secrets or privileged or confidential commercial or financial information that could constitute an unwarranted invasion of the personal privacy of third parties, end quote. If I ask again, the post office people will probably claim that the information vanished in a fire. The writer describes an interview between Joe Hoft of the Gateway Pundit and Tony Schaefer, a retired Intel officer, Schaefer had asked for whistleblower status for Jesse Morgan and Bill Barr apparently refused. After that, he says Morgan dropped out of sight. It concludes like this. Final point. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania certified its 2020 election, despite the undisputed fact that it had recorded two hundred and two thousand more ballots cast than voters. That disparity probably made the election certification illegal under Commonwealth law. Eventually, Pennsylvania found more voters, but not enough. To this very day, it appears there were 91,000 more ballots cast than identified voters. Of course, that number exceeds Biden's winning margin. It also lends credence to the claims of Jesse Morgan. And people often try to debunk that claim by misstating that claim. They believe that the claim being made is that there were more votes cast than eligible voters and registered voters. Like there's no way that number of votes could have been cast based on the number of people who could have voted. That's not what it is. It's that there are more votes counted in the total than there are voters identified from those registered Pennsylvania voters. Think of it this way. If there are 20 registered eligible voters and there are 10 voters who vote in the election and you have 12 votes, that means you have two too many votes. There should be 10 votes and you would know which 10 of the 20 actually voted. So it's not that 12 votes is impossible. It just would have taken 12 voters and all you had was 10 voters. That is what's being said. Not that 12 votes is impossible. It's easy to see that it is possible based on the number of registered eligible voters. It's just not possible based on the number of voters who actually voted. So we'll have to see where this story goes. But it's very interesting that it's coming around again right now. And it's just another sign that, This idea is pushing forward in the public mind. When a story like this makes the rounds this long after it first came out and people are still engaged with this idea and the idea spreads, it starts getting headlines in bigger publications. People are sharing it on social media. These ideas eventually sink in. No one has an explanation for this. No one has an explanation for it. Do we know all the details? Of course not but it's pretty clear that something is wrong here. At the very minimum, this process should not ever happen in one of our elections. At the very least, it is a sign and a symptom of how complicated unnecessarily our elections are and how much needs to be remedied because no one should have faith in a system like this. And that keeps pushing forward. I had an absolute ton of stuff to go through today and i didn't get anywhere close to finishing it so gonna save all that for tomorrow and i will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network i don't have a network Masked and lockdowns don't work they lied to you about a pandemic and joe biden will never be president in my mind that's the end game if you're listening to this episode for free you can support me and support the show and the work i do. By signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree Linktree.com slash I'mYourModerator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Stop
1: dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com.
0: Let's get this dinner party started. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator.